Well, good morning, Summit Ridge Community Church. Boy, if that song don't get you started, um, you should check your pulse. <laughs> Many of you know my name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we are going through a sermon series uh, called Messy Church, with uh, going through the first and second uh, book of Corinthians and uh, kind of talking about Paul's interaction with the church at Corinth. Now, uh, as many as you know, uh, Don and I have been parents to a lot of kids. Our own kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, and lots of everybody else's kids. And as parents, you know, we have this sort of mission, right? We have this hope of ministry as parents, right? We want to deliver instruction to our kids that they will embrace and live a life that doesn't go through all the struggles and that they're, they're prosperous and that they have a love for the Lord and all these things that we want to see in our kids. And if your kids are like my kids, they didn't exactly grab it right away. It took some work. Uh, I always get a kick out of it when people say, well, you know, people are naturally good. And I think to myself, then you have never raised kids. Because... We did not have to teach a two-year-old how to lie. They figured it out all on their own. So, the, uh, you know, we don't want any harm to come to our kids. And, and I remember growing up, my, my dad was really good at, at allowing me to go far enough that I didn't break anything important, but I learned a lesson. I remember when I was convinced I could fly off the roof, and he was convinced I would definitely come to the ground. Uh, and I got to experience not only the law of gravity, but gravity itself. Um, but my parents were like that. I mean, they always wanted us to learn, and quite often we rejected what they were teaching us. In fact, you, you might find this hard to believe, but I rejected what they tried to teach us a lot. Um, yes, I was young once. Um, I know, it was a long time ago. Uh, I'll tell you how long ago it was. At school, we still had the Board of Education, if you know what I mean, right? So, but... Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I didn't take a lot of instruction well. But interesting part that I found is I got older, my parents got smarter. I was amazed. It, the, I remember when I was, I was probably about 23, and I realized my dad was a genius. I mean, it was amazing how smart he had gotten in a few years. On top of that, I realized he was a prophet. Because he could tell what was going to happen before it happened. <laughs> and he would say things like, I don't think you should do that. you probably not like the consequences. And lo and behold, that's what happened. I ignored him. I did it. And I suffered the consequences. I was unique in our neighborhood because I had my driver's license suspended three times before I was 18. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was sad because... You always had to know who was still driving, right? I mean, back then we raced a lot, and so you always had to keep track of who hadn't lost their license so you could decide who was driving the next time you had to go somewhere. So, unfortunately, my dad died of cancer at 26. Otherwise, I mean, I can't imagine how amazingly smart he would have become. Um, but I suspect we've all kind of been through that same circumstances, right? We grow up, we think we know everything, and, and then we start to realize that maybe we don't know everything, and some of this instruction we've gotten is really kind of useful. Uh, kind of good for us. And Paul is there in the church at Corinth. Now, if you remember what we've been talking about through First and Second Corinthians, 
Paul's family at Corinth, I mean, he loves this church. And he has shared his heart to this church. And, and something happens and, and he has to go down there and give correction. And, and it doesn't go well. Right? They, they just, it's really an unpleasant experience. And so he, he leaves you later on and he writes a letter back to them. Unfortunately, we don't have this letter. And in that letter, he manages to try to get some change. And we're going to see here as we go through this seventh chapter of uh, the book of Second, second Chapter. We're going to start over. The seventh chapter of the book of Second, of second Corinthians, that Paul is really going to share his heart with the folks in Corinth. All right. So let's get started here. Verse one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, as we all know, if you've been attending here very long at all, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore, right? So, <laughs> exactly. So, in this case, he's pointing back to the message back in, in 1 Corinthians chapters 6.14, 6-18, where Paul is telling, or in 2 Corinthians, rather, uh, Paul is exhorting them not to yoke themselves to unbelievers, but instead to seek perfecting holiness because of the promises that they have in God. Now, as parents, we know the same thing. We don't want our children to date people that are not believers. There is nothing harder than a believer and a non-believer to live together because they're in such conflict. You're much better, I mean, to have two non-believers. But you have a believer and an unbeliever together, there's all sorts of conflict. And that's what Paul was seeing in the church. Right? We had these, this mixture of people. And Paul makes the point that Christ and Satan can't work together. You can't have people that are worshiping idols, worshiping Satan, and worshiping God at the same time. That doesn't work. You can't mix like that. There's, uh, you know, the old story about where the, um, there's this big group of people and there's this big fence and, and, uh, you know, Jesus comes down and says, okay, everybody with me, let's go and, Satan goes, okay, everybody's me, let's go. And they both take off, and there's like three or four people sitting on the fence. And Satan said, didn't you hear me? I said, let's go. And they're like, no, 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 we're sitting on the fence. No, you don't understand. It's my fence. Right? There is no middle ground. There's one or the other. You can't play that middle ground of doing both. So Paul makes this distinction here because of these people that have not fully separated themselves from this worship of idols in the church at Corinth. And to his frustration, we have now the Judaizers who are there taking advantage of that. They're saying, look, look how little he's disciplined this church. They're still doing all these things that are wrong, right? They're still worshiping idols. They're eating meat sacrificed to idols. They're, uh, you know, carousing during communion. They're doing all these sorts of things. So Paul's going to use this opportunity to make it clear that that is not the case. And we look at it, he talks about here in the first verse, talks about these promises, right? Therefore, having these promises. Well, what promises is he talking about? So he quotes from Leviticus 26, verses 11 and 12. Moreover, I have made my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Now, this is a great statement here. And, and, and we've got to really look at it in context, right? Because we have the Judaizers that are in the church that are promoting this back to Moses idea. And Paul is saying, no, no, we are now the new covenant. 
The old covenant is gone. The new covenant is here. We are saints of the new covenant, and God will live with us. So, now you can imagine here that Judaizers, now this is directly against them. It's intentionally against the Judaizers, and at the same time, addressing those folks that are, um, you know, kind of not quite out of this pagan worship area. So Paul concludes the verse with an exhortation to cleanse ourselves. Literally, it means to separate and purify ourselves from all the negatives of pagan worship. Again, the worship of idols, participating in meals that honored pagan gods, reverie, gluttony during communion, all these things that we have talked about in the, in the first and second, up to now in first and second Corinthians. Now, verse two focuses on reconciliation. So remember, he's caused all this trouble, sorrow, and all this sort of stuff that went on when he, when he visited and then later got things fixed up through this letter. And he's trying to rebuild that reconciliation. He wants the body to be back together. Again, he had to deal with this difficult situation. He's tried to fix it, and he's distressed that he caused sorrow. And again, I think of it as a parent. There's things you do, I go, this, you know, I love it, but this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you're thinking, no, it's not. You're not hitting you. <laughs> you know? and, and, but the thing is, like, as parents, we've had to do painful things for the benefit of our kids. And they didn't appreciate it, and we didn't want to make the pain, but we had to. Um, and it gets the results we want. We're like, okay, the pain was worth it. It was worth going through that. And that's really where Paul is with this, right? So he's emphasizing this here that, that we got to stay away from these two extremes, the Judaizers and the pagan stuff, focus on the middle ground. Um, and he's trying to bring that unity, that reconciliation, back into the church at Corinth. Again, the Judaizers think that, that or the, the Gentile Christians, there are those that think that Paul is being way too restrictive and they should be more relaxed and get to do more things. And then there's, of course, the Judaizers felt the exact opposite, that Paul had been not nearly restrictive enough. And this new group stirring the pot, encouraging negative attitudes toward Paul. So Paul responds to this in, in verses 2 through 5. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together, to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting in your behalf. I am filled with comfort, and I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Paul is excited because, of course, Titus is back and is telling him what's going on in the church at Corinth. So he's asking the church for reconciliation. Again, he caused these painful events, and we don't really know who is accusing him of these things, but he's being accused that he wronged them, that he had corrupted them, and that he had exploited them. Again, we don't know exactly who said that, but he's saying no. I didn't do anything of the sort. Um, and more importantly here, he's saying, hey, I'm one of you. I am part of the church of Corinth. We are all part of the body of Christ. We're all working together here. We're all in affliction. And he's bringing on this unity. And, and we see that, right? We go through struggles as a church body or as a family. We go through those struggles, but in the end, we're still the family. You know, I can think of times in our family, we went through some difficult, my brother was, my younger brother had a temper. And uh, 
<laughs> we had a lot of fights. But in the end, something going against our family, better look out. You did not want to take us on um, because we were family. And we see the same thing here, right? You can have struggles with the church, but when there's challenges to the church, we all pull together. And that's what he's asking them to do here. And he's telling them that he's proud of what they've accomplished. And despite all the afflictions, he and the Corinthians church has experienced their ministry together. And he's confident and optimistic in the future. Right? The message he delivered had an effect. It accomplished what he was trying to accomplish. And we see this because he has this grace of God and power of the Holy Spirit in his life that gives him this conviction to his ministry. As we know, you know, he went from Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus and was given the Gentile church. And he has this passion for the Gentile church. Um, and, and you can sense it when you read the words that, that he uses, this passion that he has for that church. Now, in the next verses, he's going to transition from the issues in the Corinth church to what's going on in the rest uh, where he's at currently. Verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we are afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comfort us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. As he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Now, some important notes here in this narrative as we go through. Um, First of all, Sea travel, travel wasn't what it is today, right? So primarily they traveled by sea, and there was times of year you just didn't travel. In the winter time, the storms and all that kind of stuff, you weren't going to travel. So typically you're going to decide where you're going to winter up, right? Where you're going to spend the winter months. Um, so when Titus doesn't show up at Troas, Paul decides, okay, it's time to move, and they're going to, he's going to head to Macedonia. Now, more than likely, he had already arranged with his folks where we were going to meet up. You know, because again, they're, they're, they're going to have plans of where they're going to meet up. So no doubt Titus knew where to meet up with Paul. So Paul stays in Macedonia, but not without conflict. Right? He says he's afflicted on every side. From the Greek, we can conclude that he got little rest and that he found resistance constantly. Now realize that again, he's going out into the Gentiles and he's having to deal with these pagan religions constantly. They have all these false gods, and he's dealing with this all the time. Plus, there's this inner conflict that occurs within churches he's trying to deal with. Um, He's got a huge weight on him as he's going around. Not unlike today, right? We have a lot we deal with today. There's always struggles within the church, but there's also all this struggle outside. And this year has been phenomenal when it comes to trouble. I mean, between the, the, obviously, COVID and, and the racial stuff and the, the economy going up and down. Now these fires, um, you know, I'm waiting for like the Yellowstone caldera or a giant meteor. Um, it just seems like it's been one of those kind of years, you know, everything's, you know, and, and, it's, and it's like, yeah, God's got this. And, and, and there's a, I know some people, I know you wake up and you think, ah, you know, it's panic. It's like, okay, calm. God's got this. You know, that doesn't mean it won't be with the, without affliction, but God's got this. Rest. Take his comfort. You know, and Paul, he brings this in so many of his messages that we can find this comfort in God. That we can rest, even amidst our affliction, we can rest in God. 
You know, we had this idea of just laying flat on the ground saying, God, you got this, you know. And for many of us, that's difficult. We like to control. We like to be in charge. But we're not in charge. Um, I know my, uh, I got a lesson long in life. And my dad had me fill up this bucket. And it was, a, you know, like a five-gallon bucket. And he filled it all the way up. He says, now I want you to stick your hand in there all the way down. And I said, okay. We're kind of confused. He goes, now on the count of three, I want you to pull it out as fast as you can. See how big a hole you leave. Like, that was cruel. <laughs> but he was making his point, you know. You're one of many, you know. This team, we got to work together with those kind of stuff. You're not in charge, you know. Unless you're in the military, then I was in charge. But the, uh, <laughs> we were talking, we had a, we, we just started a, um, a veterans group at work, um, trying to help veterans get into the workforce. Because, again, when you've been in the military for a long time, you don't know what real life looks like. You're just not used to it. You always did what you did, and you control what you control. It was really structured. And people enter this world that's not structured at all. It's scary. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really kind of you have to find that peace in the Lord. Um, now, as we go through the... Um, the despair of verse 5 is contrasted again by the, this comfort that Paul gets from God expressed in verses 6 and 7. And recognize that no matter the circumstances we, that he finds himself in or we find in, we get this comfort in the Lord. And he's faithful to his purpose even though it caused hardship. And God honors that. One of the things we've talked about in many messages up here is the important, if you're committed to God and faith in God and obeying God, he will be there for you. He will take care of you in affliction and he will comfort you. Um, and that promise is really important. And we see that because the safe arrival of, of, of Titus is good news for two reasons. One, he arrived safely, right? In this time of the year, things the weather's getting bad. He shows up. Yay, Titus made it. But more importantly, Titus is coming back from the church at Corinth with all this good news. He's telling, hey, all this stuff you did worked. The church is corrected. They're moving in the right direction. And that's really important for Paul. He knows that these, these negative experiences he's gone through weren't in vain. They were effective. So in verses 8 through 13, Paul explains the comfort he finds in Titus's news from Corinth. Verse 8, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that I made you sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. So we see this sort of interesting play, this sort of parental play, right? I'm sorry I had to do that to you, but I'm glad it worked. Right? That same happiness in the church. Yeah, this... You know, that's, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me, but it worked, you know. Ah, excuse me. So no doubt this letter he wrote must have some sting to it. Um, you know, I've gotten those before. You're ready to go, ooh, ouch, you know. But it led to correction. And, and often we're going to be in that position where exposing the truth with someone is going to lead to uncomfortable time. We're going to find it's unpleasant to have to bring things up to people. Um, 
But we realize that that discomfort um, is necessary and that it will resolve the issue. You know, our bodies go through that experience a lot. There's a lot of things that we have to do that are unpleasant, but if we don't do it, it's only going to be more unpleasant. You know, I think of things like lancing a boil, resetting a dislocated joint, you know, all sorts of medical procedures that we go through that are painful in the process, but necessary. I remember I used to play football. I know, hard to believe, but I used to play football, and I dislocated my shoulder. And so the coach is like, yeah, no problem. We can take care of this. And so he had me lay down, put his foot next to my elbow, grab my arm, and he said, on the count of three, I'm going to fix your shoulder. And so sure enough, on the count of two, he, <laughs> he fixed my shoulder, right? And it really hurt when he did it, right? But it hurt a lot more when he, if he hadn't have done it, right? So it was painful, but it was necessary, you know? And that's the way life is. There are things that you're going to go through that are painful, and there's sorrow we're going to have to bring to people that is painful. But it's necessary. It's how we grow. Now, we should not generate sorrow unnecessarily. Right? We shouldn't go there just to disturb people or upset people. That's not our goal here. You know, we need wisdom, guidance as we address stuff with people so we can do so with a loving heart. But we have to be truthful. You know, we talk about the truth in love, that balance. Either one of those in the extreme is bad. And we have to do it again for believers in this world, but we also have to do it with unbelievers in this world. We're called to stand up for the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Verse 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you? What vindication of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? What longing? What zeal? What avenging of wrong? In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your eagerness on our behalf might be known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So Paul con- contrasts godly sorrow with worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Worldly sorrow is, I got caught. How did I not get caught next time? The problem is not that you get committed, you get uh, convicted of what you've done as being wrong, you feel that it's wrong that you got caught. And that's a really important distinction because if you get, get good at not getting caught, leads to death. If you get good at sin, it leads to death. And it's interesting, I read an article a few days ago, it was talking about the more you sin, the better you get at it to the point that you don't even know you're doing it anymore. It becomes so natural that, I won't ask for a show of hands, but people know the people that they lie and they don't even realize they're lying anymore. They've done it so much that they, it's just what they naturally do. And that's the point he's making here is that we have this worldly sorrow is not the same. Godly sorrow brings about conviction and repentance and change.
And Paul's excited what he hears from Titus about the church in Corinth. And you can feel the excitement in the way that he shares it, right? What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of a wrong. This church has corrected itself. It's taken these words. It's taken this wisdom um, and has gone back excitedly in the right direction. Paul concludes, verse 14, For if in anything I have boasted to you about, to him about you, I was not put to shame. But we spoke all things to you in truth. So also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. The church at Corinth, by receiving Titus so well and so with such encouragement and such excitement, was actually confirming Paul. And that's really important because remember, the Judaizers are there. And had they not, had they rejected Titus, they would effectively have been supporting the Judaizers, which means they would have been rejecting Jesus Christ. Right? Because the Judaizers had this back to Moses that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, that there was no new covenant. But by the church accepting Titus and doing so eagerly and accepting the message so eagerly, they were accepting Jesus Christ so eagerly. And they showed it with their zeal, their fear. And it's interesting, we talk about fear. This isn't like fear, you know, I'm going to get run over. It's like fear, it's this godly uh, resonance with holiness. Uh, and, you know, it's one thing I've noticed that, that in the church over the last probably 20 to 30 years, that fearful respect for God, that, that nature of rec- recognizing God's holiness has been lost a lot. Uh, people, it just seems like a lot of times today I, I see stuff on uh, church on TV and it's like, no, this is a holy God. He doesn't accept sin. It's, you can't be around it. There's this loss of that. And, and Paul is saying, wow, look at this church. You guys have this fear. You have this zeal. You have this excitement back in you. And he's excited. And he's excited because Titus is excited. You know, Titus is, you know, Paul's raising Titus and Timothy and some of the others to, to become the new uh, messengers, and they're excited. And so Paul's excited for that. So. Paul sums it up really in verse 16. He says, I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. As believers, we have a special purpose in the world. We have to go out and share the word and its truth. And it will not always be received. And sometimes even when it's received, it will not quickly sprout. Um, I heard the message years. I mean years. Um, I... I can't count. I, I attended church regularly, but nothing clicked until I was 33. So we have to be, and I'm sure many of you have family members, friends that don't know the Lord, and it breaks your heart. That sorrow of knowing this person doesn't know. You know, my father, I still don't know for sure whether he knew the Lord when he passed or not. And that brings sorrow. But we have a conviction to share the truth with the world even when the world doesn't receive it. 
And when they do receive it, it's our responsibility to guide them in the truth, to help them grow up. And that means sometimes bringing sorrow, telling them, sorry, you just can't do that anymore. That behavior is not consistent with what Jesus Christ wants you to do. And that may cause tension in a relationship, right? Maybe a struggle with a child. May even cause a temporary separation. But it's what God wants us to do. What does a parent teaches their child, disciplines their child? It's because they love their child. And just as Jesus Christ disciplines us, it's because he loves us. And we just have to go forth and do the same for the world we live in. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you love us to the point that you've allowed us to go through affliction, to go through sorrow, to go through struggles, and that you're there with us and that you carry us and that you hold us up through all of that. We pray, Lord, that you give us the strength to go out and bring the truth to the world and do so with a heart that's sensitive, that carries your love, and not in a way that causes unnecessary pain or suffering in the world. At a time like this, in this country we live in right now and throughout the world, we need to see and to hear you in this world. And we as your messengers are committed to that. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.